As the Civil War came to a conclusion, the armed warfare on the Missouri-Kansas border similarly subsided. The big question became, what did the path forward look like for the two states? Lawrence had been rebuilt in the years following Quantrill's raid, and the University of Kansas had opened its doors. However, there's also an interstate relationship to build that likely would not be an easy process. My name is Jeffrey Dean, and I'm actually from North Carolina. As a Mizzou student, I've been told that I'm supposed to hate Kansas for three years now, but I never knew why. Now, I'm in pursuit of the answer. This is Beyond Mr. Brightside. It is a connection rivalry at that point between proximity of school. I knew there was a historical basis for this. And it took me time to find the sources of people who were like, no, I'm hanging on to, to really hard feelings. There's a lot of ebbs and flows of periods of time where it might be Kansas winning several series in a row, might be Mizzou winning several series in a row. On the surface, it appeared that might actually be a simpler and quicker repair than people originally thought. Here's what Dr. Jeremy Neely, a professor at Missouri State University, has found in his research. When I looked at local newspapers, instead of, you know, rehashing the war ad nauseum, what I instead found was um, a, a determination by leaders on both sides of the state line to let bygones be bygones and to rather look at the past to kind of turn their eyes forward and to focus on uh, economic development. If bygones were really going to be bygones and the hatchet was to be buried, why does the current athletic rivalry still harken back to this conflict? Here's Dr. Neely. Then you've got a more private narrative, which is passed down between families and instrumental within the preservation of that memory um, eventually will be the United Daughters of the Confederacy uh, in Missouri who will begin to publish local histories in which they say the, the story that you've heard about the Civil War is, is not the real story. That, um, you know, the Union Army did some awful things to the people of Missouri. Jayhawkers did some awful things to the people of Missouri. And, and we're going to keep that narrative going. And that's the narrative that, you know, feeds into the rivalry. So despite the public move to squash the tension between the two states, there is still a private resentment that exists. At the same time, the athletic rivalry is getting underway. Here's Dr. Sean Ross talking about the beginning of that rivalry in 1891. Uh, when you're looking at 30, even 20 years on from, uh, from a major historical event, you're going to have people who are still eyewitnesses to those historical events. People living who in, in the 1890s who would have been in the Kansas City area uh, and on the borderland area when a lot of this is going on. It's still quite fresh. Reconstruction ends in the mid to late 1870s. I mean, that's even closer to that time of, of the original conflict. Even as Reconstruction came and went, the stories of the conflict did not. Veterans reunions, particularly those of the men who rode under William Quantrill, continued to dredge up the feelings and animosity between the two states. This was even after the athletics rivalry had already begun. Here's Dr. Neely on those reunions. These reunions don't start until the late 1890s when these guys are, you know, in their 50s and 60s. And the Quantrill men, they will maintain that what they're doing is not political. They're just sharing war stories. Um, but I find they're just inescapably political. And the fact that they organize their picnics on or very near the exact anniversary of the Lawrence Massacre uh, are just a sort of poke at, at Kansas. 
Furthermore, it's not just the reunions themselves that will continue to cause tension and conflict, it is the legacy of these men and the history that they share. Dr. Neely again. What I find is that the Quantrill men reunions really show that the border wars, it, it's going to continue for as long as these people are drawing breath. But then it's its their children, and it's their children's children that, that sort of uh, perpetuate it. As mentioned by Dr. Matt Katz, an associate professor of sport consumer behavior, in the first episode of this series, pure proximity plays a role in rivalry generally and is particularly relevant in this rivalry. As previously mentioned, no rivalries data today supports that claim. Here's Dr. Katz on why that is uniquely important to this rivalry in particular. The other thing I wanted to mention about the Missouri-Kansas rivalry specifically is within the survey that participants take on no rivalry, we um, get an average sort of importance given to each element of rivalry. And so for both Kansas and Missouri, the most fans, for Kansas and Missouri fans, the um, most important element of that rivalry is spatial proximity, right? It is geography. Kansas City and its proximity to both Columbia, Missouri and Lawrence, Kansas will play a pivotal role in the development of this rivalry. Dr. Rost explains why Kansas City was especially helpful in building up the rivalry in its infancy. You have a shared city of Kansas City between you where there is that, that animosity of, of location, of, of, of ability to have a rivalry, to have an alumni base, to have that kind of connection point there. So for the university at that time, there's a lot of logical steps to make Kansas a rival. Rivalry can also be born out of stretches of dominance by one team. And when the teams first took the gridiron in 1891, that was certainly the case. Dr. Rost. You could say the first 20 years of that rivalry, so going from 1891 up until, I think it's 1910, Kansas wins 15 out of 18 games in basketball um, and held a football record of 13-4-3, so there was ties at that point um, that were held on the record. So essentially the first 20 years is dominated by Kansas. This brings the rivalry to 1911. The football game played in Columbia during the fall of 1911 is reported to be the first ever homecoming football game at any school in the United States. This is contested by several programs, but for Mizzou, this is a point of pride. While football and men's basketball quickly became the premier sports matchups between the two schools, a rivalry on the track was brewing. Brutus Hamilton and Everett Bradley from Mizzou and Kansas respectively were literally and figuratively sprinting towards athletic supremacy. Dr. Rost again. The, the rivalry is pretty intense, but it's sheer fact that they're both competing to go to the Olympics. They're both, I believe, in the Olympics. They're both at the top of their, their respective sports and they're literally right next to each other. And so for a period of time, they are essentially one A and one B in their respective sports. So it, that, that adds to some rivalry elements of that in track and field especially. The two athletes do compete in the 1920 Olympics in Antwerp, Belgium, and they both win silvers, Hamilton in the decathlon and Bradley in the pentathlon. The overall rivalry is made more intense at this time, additionally, because of the increasing parity between the two programs. Just as stretches of dominance can fuel rivalry, recent parity can also fuel rivalries. During the 1920s, Missouri won 16 of the 30 basketball games. And during the 1920s and 1930s, Missouri won 9 of the 20 football games with three ties. At the same time that the rivalry was becoming more even, the alumni base was also growing for each of the schools. This changed the complexion of the rivalry, making the fan bases for each program larger and more committed. 
Here's Dr. Rost on that change. As you see a rise in the number of people who are able to attend college, that animosity increases in a lot of ways. So early on, it would may not have been carried as much of the kind of school rivalry in a lot of ways. You would have had a smaller segment of the population connected to that. According to No Rivalry, there are 10 main antecedents to rivalry. Thus far through the early days of the Kansas-Missouri rivalry, three of those antecedents have made themselves present. The spatial proximity between the two schools, the historical dominance of Kansas over Missouri in the early years, and by the 1920s, competitiveness between the two programs. Over this same time frame, the two schools played often, thus demonstrating a fourth antecedent to rivalry, consistency. From 1907 to 1928, both Kansas and Missouri were in the Missouri Valley Intercollegiate Athletic Association, or MVIAA. The original five members of the MVIAA were Mizzou and Kansas, along with the University of Nebraska, Washington University in St. Louis, and the University of Iowa. However, the Hawkeyes left the conference after only four years. A year later, they were joined by Drake University and what is now known as Iowa State University. During those years, Kansas and Missouri played as many as four times a season in men's basketball, plus an additional football matchup. The women's teams from the two programs wouldn't play their first game against each other until 1974. During Missouri's inaugural basketball season in 1907, they played 16 matchups against 10 teams, all of whom were in Missouri or Kansas. The reason for all the matchups against local teams? Ease of travel. Here's Dr. Rost. You, you cannot go all the way to Florida to play Florida for a weeknight basketball game. I mean, that's just not doable. I mean, you have to miss the entire week almost of classes to get down there and get back. So you're playing schools like, you know, Kansas and Kansas State, maybe Iowa State, but you're also playing schools like Drake, which is in Des Moines, Iowa. You're playing um, Washington University. The frequency of this matchup led to lots of hostility, especially given the dominance that Kansas had over Missouri during the early years of the basketball rivalry. It just bleeds into a lot of ways of, of this growing animosity of, you know, the feeling of defeat and hoping for next year or the next competition, winning it the next time around. So I think that fueled it in a lot of ways. In 1928, the Big Six, the core of what would become the Big Eight, and then eventually the Big 12 in the 1990s, split from the MVIAA. The six schools that formed the Big Six were Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa State, Kansas State, and Oklahoma. While Missouri bordered the other states represented in the Big Six, Iowa, Nebraska, and Oklahoma, and also as the population of Kansans and Missourians who had lived through the bleeding Kansas conflict was diminishing, the roots of the rivalry between the Tigers and Jayhawks had been built, and the stories of the conflict lived on. On top of that, playing a team two to four, maybe even five times a year will certainly breed a degree of hostility in its own right. The football rivalry went back and forth between the two programs for much of their time in the Big Six and the Big Eight leading up to the 1960-61 athletic season. During the same time, Kansas went back to dominating Missouri in basketball, winning nearly 75% of the matchups between the two programs. Physical manifestations of the rivalry had gone by the wayside at this point for several decades now. But what will take place over four months in 1960 and 1961 will throw the entire rivalry, its past, its present, and its future, into a cloud of uncertainty. That's next time on Beyond Mr. Brightside.